1: From Intelligence Squared U.S., I'm John Donvan. Before this particular debate, I sat on stage with Gideon Rose, editor of Foreign Affairs, our partner for this debate on the global financial system. And Gideon and I chatted about this relationship between us and his magazine.
2: Well, we love Intelligence Squared, and we couldn't think of a better partnership because essentially the best way to think of foreign affairs is as the home version of Intelligence Squared. It's something you can play uh, by yourself or with friends and family. It's easy. You basically take a policy question that you care about, write down your answer, read your copy of Foreign Affairs, and then check your answer and vote again. That's how you play at home. What we offer in FA is essentially very smart, serious people honestly trying to provide constructive answers to important and interesting practical questions and have the kind of debate that should be had in a democracy over important public issues.
1: That's what you do as well. Well, Does that suggest that one wants to read Foreign Affairs with a willingness to change one's mind?
2: All of our authors are smarter than the editorial staff and they take very different positions on all the major issues and so it's a constant education for us and we hope it is for our readers as well. Our job is to translate the smart people in our pages to translate their words and ideas into ones that everybody can understand.
1: Just a moment on tonight's resolution. Uh, We're looking back 10 years. Normally, we look at the present. We are actually looking at the future, but we're using the 10-year-old benchmark as our metric in a sense. But why does that topic interest you in particular?
2: Well, because these days, obviously, not just are domestic and international events related, but security and economic spheres are related. And a global financial crisis and the turbulence that we saw a decade ago has been an extraordinarily significant factor in weakening the liberal international order, affecting world politics in various ways, hurting lots of of people. And the question of whether we have responded successfully, whether we have made the system better, is something we've been covering in the pages of Foreign Affairs. We're delighted to sort of be partners in a debate by really serious people trying to assess whether the measures that have been
1: taken have been enough or not. Thanks very much. Gideon Rose, editor of Foreign Affairs, our partner for this debate. Remember that brink, that cliff that we all nearly went over? It was called the global financial crisis. The year was 2008, and certainly many, many, many individuals were hurt by it. The thing that people were predicting and fearing, the total meltdown of the global financial system, that never came to pass, thanks to huge bailouts and also just plain luck, after which, of course, we pledge to take measures to make sure that we would never come that close to total meltdown again. And in fact, we haven't. And why is that? Is that because we did figure out what sorts of safeguards we need? Are we, in fact, safer? Or are we still basically running on luck? Well, we think that has the makings of a debate, so let's have it. I'm John Donvan. This is Intelligence Squared US. We are on the stage at the K Playhouse in New York City with four eminently qualified debaters who will argue for and against. As always, our debate will go in three rounds, and if all goes well, civil discourse will also win. Let's meet our debaters. Our resolution is this. Ten years after the global financial crisis, the system is safer. Here to argue for the resolution. Please welcome Jason Furman. Jason, welcome back to Intelligence Squared. You spent eight years as a top economic advisor to the Obama administration. You're now at the Harvard Kennedy School. You're also a senior fellow at the Peterson Institute for International Economics. You have debated with us a few times before, and in fact, you have never lost a debate. So, what's your strategy?
3: I try to pick great
1: partners. (laughs) (laughs) And that brings us to our next debater, Neil Kashkari. (laughs) Neil, in addition to having just been paid the highest compliment, you are president and the CEO of the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis. You were seriously a player in some of the issues we're going to be discussing tonight. The Treasury Department, you were the man in charge of TARP, the Troubled Asset Relief Program during the 2008 financial crisis. But before all of that, you were an engineer who worked on a telescope.
4: How did that happen? I studied engineering in college and started out my career as an aerospace engineer. Loved it. I ended up going back to business school, and then that led me into economics and banking and finance.
1: The team arguing for the resolution 10 years after the global financial crisis. The system is safer. We have two debaters arguing against it. Please first welcome Kenneth Rogoff. Ken, Welcome. Uh, You're a professor of public policy and economics at Harvard. You were once a chief economist at the International Monetary Fund. You're a best-selling author. You have a bunch of books, one of them quite relevant its title. This time, it's different. What were you trying to say with that title?
5: Well, it's supposed to be ironic because this time isn't different when it comes to financial crises.
1: Thanks very much, Ken Rogoff. (laughs) And speaking about what's different, some of you may recognize the fourth debater and the other member of the team arguing against Robert Rosencrantz. We had a debater on her way had transportation issues. Robert Rosencrantz happens to be in addition to being the chairman of Delphi Capital Management, chairman of Intelligence Squared US Foundation, our chairman, his first time on this stage on very short notice but has a very long career building expertise in the topics that we're debating tonight so it all works out. Bob well- Welcome to the stage. Honestly, it's probably a lot easier sitting out there than it is up here.
6: Yes, much nicer. Much nicer. <laughs>
1: much nicer. <laughs> but ladies and gentlemen, Robert Rosencrantz and the team <laughs> arguing against the resolution. So on to the debate. We begin with round one. Round one are opening statements by each debater in turn. Speaking first for the resolution, 10 years after the global financial crisis, the system is safer. Here is Neil Kashkari, president of the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis. Neil Kashkari.
4: Jason and I have analyzed this across five different dimensions. And on three of those dimensions, the system is safer. On two of the dimensions, we're going to demonstrate that the system is the same. First dimension are the big banks. You all remember the 08 crisis. The big banks were at the center of this crisis. But the biggest banks are safer than they were 10 years ago. And we should be honest about that. So the single best thing you can do to make a bank safe is make sure it has enough capital to protect the taxpayers in case it makes a mistake. If you take out a loan to buy a house, the bank is gonna make you put a down payment. The more money you put down, the safer your loan is. If you put down 30%, it's safer than if you put down 20%. Well, banks have to put down some money on their own investments, and they have about twice as much capital as they had 10 years ago. That means they're safer. Banks also, you know, they borrow money. When you deposit money in a bank, The bank is borrowing your money, and the more of that money that people can pull out very quickly, the riskier the bank. That's how they fund themselves. They're funding themselves longer term, so the money cannot simply be pulled out as quickly as it was 10 years ago. And then regulators have a lot of additional tools to deal with banks if they do get into trouble. So dimension number two, what about the non-banks? What about the rest of the financial system? mortgage-backed securities. Wall Street takes a bunch of mortgages, they package them together, they slice them up, and then they sell them all around the world. That was one of the key risks in the financial crisis. That activity has fallen by about 75% securitization. Or if you take money market funds, that activity, the risky money market funds, 75% lower than it was 10 years ago. You've probably heard about people getting loans where no money down, they call them ninja loans. No income, no job, no asset you get a mortgage, right? No more, you can't do that anymore. So if you look outside of the banking sector, the rest of the financial system is also safer than it was 10 years ago. What do we do if a crisis actually happens? So I wanna talk about monetary policy. So I'm president of the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis. I have one of the policymakers who sets monetary policy for the nation. If there's a recession or if there's a crisis, typically what the Federal Reserve will do is it'll cut interest rates to try to stimulate the economy. Interest rates are lower today than they were 10 years ago. They're around 2.5% for the federal funds rate. People will say, well, that means the Federal Reserve has less room to cut than it did 10 years ago. And that's true. But we have other tools to also stimulate the economy. Quantitative easing, where the Federal Reserve will go out and buy long-term bonds to try to drive down long-term interest rates. If there's a recession... We want to make it cheaper for you to go get a mortgage or for a business to go get a loan. One of the things that the Fed has now that we didn't have 10 years ago, we have a lot more experience using some of these other tools. The Fed did it in the crisis, but they weren't sure if it was going to work. 10 years later, we have a lot more experience on how to use these other tools. So overall on monetary policy, we're about even. Overall, the system is safer.
1: Thank you, Neil Kashkari. The resolution again, 10 years after the global financial crisis, the system is safer here to make his opening statement against the motion. Robert Rosencrantz, chairman of Delphi Capital Management and the Intelligence Squared U.S. Foundation.
6: The system is extremely opaque and very interdependent. Derivatives, over-the-counter derivatives, there are some $10 trillion dollars of over-the-counter derivatives outstanding. The total capital of the banking system is about $1.2 Banks mark them according to models. The models are inconsistent. They're subject to error. The other thing that creates potential for crisis is when everybody in the market wants to act in the same way at the same time. Things have gotten worse in that dimension. The spread of algorithmic trading. There is so much money computer algorithms that have no human intervention. Another thing that exacerbates this is the role of rating agencies. About 45% of investment-grade bond market is now rated triple B, one downgrade, and it's junk, and all those holders are forced to sell in unison. If you imagine that the financial system is a car at the crest of a hill that's gotten out of control, a lot of the accelerators of trouble are at least as much as they were 10 years ago, if not more. So let's talk about the brakes. The potential for reduced interest rates at a two and a half percent level is not very far to cut. Another potential break, fiscal stimulation, where we're running about a 5% deficit at the peak of an economic expansion, far less room for fiscal stimulation now than there was a decade ago. Last time, the financial crisis featured a very high degree of cooperation internationally. The central banks of the world and the regulators really did get their act together, coordinated a global response. Well, it seems pretty obvious to me that ability to create global coordination is much, much lower now. China is a much more important factor in the global equation. Our relationships there are broken. Europe and the UK are going their separate ways in a chaotic fashion potential for international cooperation is far less than it was. The shock absorber in the system is liquidity, the ability of somebody to come into markets where everybody is going in the opposite direction. Banks used to have that role. All the regulation that they're so proud of has actually regulated to a very diminished role as market makers, which means that if there's any event That triggers a wave of selling. The shock absorbers in the system, the liquidity in the system, has been seriously, seriously compromised. And any event that triggers coordinated action by market participants is more apt now than it was then to uh, create a major crisis. The system is not safer.
1: Thank you, Robert Rosenfeld. Is the global financial system safer than it was 10 years ago? More opening statements coming up on Intelligence Squared U.S.
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system.
1: Since 1922, the magazine Foreign Affairs has been the leading publication for serious discussion of international politics, Foreign Affairs subscribers have full access to essays by expert authors such as Elizabeth Warren and Francis Fukuyama and enjoy benefits that include downloadable audio editions, curated reading lists, and over 95 years of archives. You can sign up for a discounted subscription when you go to www.foreignaffairs.com forward slash FAIQ2 and enter the promo code FAIQ2 at checkout. That's www.foreignaffairs.com slash FAIQ2 and enter the promo code FAIQ2. And a reminder of what's going on. We're halfway through the opening round of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I'm John Donvan. We have four debaters, two teams of two, fighting it out over this resolution. Ten years after the global financial crisis, the system is safer. You've heard from the first two debaters, and now on to the third. Arguing for the resolution, Jason Furman, former chairman of the Council of Economic Advisers under President Obama. Jason Furman.
3: Take something like derivatives. Um, 10 years ago, they were the Wild West. You could invent them, you could customize them, you could just do them between any two people. Are there too many of them? Are they too risky now? Yeah, but they're much more standardized. Uh, most of them have moved to what's called central clearing houses, where all of them go through a place, much more transparent. You know, we used to look really carefully at community banks to make sure they had enough capital. Some of the places we didn't used to look at, Lehman Brothers, I don't know if any of you remember that, it hasn't been around for a bit, Um, but we barely examined AIG, and we're looking at all of those places in the financial system now, maybe not enough, maybe not as much as we should, um, but now systemically important institutions get designated as such, they fall under the Federal Reserve. Um, Neil gave you three arguments, I want to now talk about two more. The first is international. When I was in the White House, once we got through the worst of our part of the crisis, I spent the last six years of the administration losing far more sleep over what was happening overseas. The Eurozone crisis, China. I'm not losing sleep anymore. Mostly that's because I'm not in the White House anymore. (laughs) Some of that's, you know, a little bit better. Europe. A lot of the reforms Neil talked about here have happened there. So their banks are also holding more capital. Europe also regulated its banks. Each country had separate regulation. But now, across the eurozone, there is a single supervisor. They've also created the European stability mechanism, 700 billion euro. In addition to Europe, the IMF has more resources than it had going into the crisis. And something we used to worry a lot about and we've forgotten entirely is oil. The United States is now the world's biggest oil producer. We produce the majority of the oil we use. Something like the types of recessions we had in 1973, 1979 aren't on anyone's top worry list. The United States has a lot more debt than it had a decade ago. I wish we had less debt. I don't think that debt is going to constrain us in fighting a crisis. In some ways, our fiscal situation has actually improved. Expected health spending has gone down. The deficit in Medicare has gone down. The measure of how serious your fiscal situation is, what your interest rates are like. And interest rates now are much lower than they were before the crisis. Financial markets expect them to be more likely to fall than to rise, and that will give us a substantial amount of space to do fiscal stimulus if we need it. Our banking system is safer. Our non-financial system is safer. Our international system is safer. Monetary and fiscal policy have just about as much room as they had before the crisis. So overall, the system as a whole is safer. Thank you. Thank you, Jason Furman.
1: And that motion again. Ten years after the global financial crisis, the system is safer. And here making his opening statement against the motion, Kenneth Rogoff, economist and professor at Harvard. Kenneth Rogoff.
5: When you have financial crises, the next war is usually pretty different than the last war. They don't always come from the same place. It's certainly important to prepare for what happened last time, but I think a really critical element of the system is the leadership. When we had the financial crisis, most famously Hank Paulson, Ben Bernanke, Tim Geithner, a very strong team, and, and they had support. President Bush even though he was a conservative and wanted to have tight budgets. Well, except when he cut taxes. He said he wanted to have tight budgets, but he got up and said, we're going to do something like a $450 billion stimulus. Obama later increased that. That was very painful. But the point is, they had his support. We have excellent central banks now, but you need more than that when you have a financial crisis. You need the support of the president. You needed the support of Congress. TARP which was a very important part of dealing with the financial crisis, that was really something Congress struggled through. Mario Draghi, the central banker, was famous. You may have heard this in Europe. We will do whatever it takes, and believe me, it will be enough. When he said those words, it was considered absolutely watershed in the European financial crisis. I, I simply don't think that we have a safe pair of hands at the moment, not just at the highest level, but the team. I'm sorry to appeal to this, but it's the world that we actually live in. Even if we had competent technocrats, I'm not sure they'd be listened to. If you go across the pond, the UK's the other big financial system. They're like committing suicide right now in the UK, and they're not even facing a real problem. I, I mean, I think, it's, I think it's kind of clear that You know, in general, the problem's deeper than just the person's. It's uh, something having to do with populism. Our ability to do fiscal policy is limited. Fiscal policy is actually not this sterile thing in a textbook, not just whether you cut taxes, do you raise government spending, whose taxes, what do you spend on, I don't have the impression, even in the United States, uh, much less some other countries, we're going to do this in a very nuanced way that's gonna work well. As far as monetary policy goes, the tools are very limited, and we have learned something. We have learned that a lot of these creative tools don't really work very well. I do concede that the banking system, narrowly defined, is safer, but the financial system is not necessarily safer. The financial system as a whole is big. It's gotten bigger. The IMF reports $200 trillion in debt. And using Bob's analogy of a car on a hill, your brakes may have gotten better, but you're on a much higher hill than you were in terms of our financial system. Interest rates are very low. But what if they're not? What if global interest rates went up? We are not to deal with that at the moment. There's so many things that would blow up. If you feel safer about anything right now, you're (laughs) dreaming.
1: Thank you, Ken Rogoff. And that concludes round one of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. Now we move on to round two, and round two is where the debaters address one another directly, and they also take questions from me and from you, our live audience here in New York City. Our resolution is 10 years after the global financial crisis, the system is safer. We have heard Neil Kashkari and Joseph Furman make the argument that the biggest banks are safer, their capital requirements are higher and encouraging and rational, that we have learned things as a result of what happened in 2008 in the aftermath, how to use tools. Then they look overseas, and they look at Europe, and they say the Europe has learned a lot, that we have partners whom we can work with who know what they're doing. The team arguing against the motion, Robert Rosencrantz and Ken Rogoff, they say it's not just about the banking system. It's one of their most important arguments, that there are several other financial markets. Those markets are getting bigger. They are essentially black boxes, as they have always been. Computers running the system that lack a human hand on the throttle. Big banks, which are now forbidden from trading for their own accounts, they say that banks are so intertwined that if one of them goes, the rest of them are ripe for falling down like dominoes. Do you trust those in charge these days, they ask. And finally, they look at China, and they say that China is a much bigger player and is not such a cooperative partner. What if it starts? What if that fire starts? Do we have the tools to respond to a global uh, financial crisis? So to the team arguing for the resolution, because you led so strongly with the notion that the banking system is safer, well, they conceded that, but that's not the whole story. It's much bigger than that. Neil, you spoke first, so if you
4: could take that on. If you look at many elements of the financial system outside of the banks, it's also safer. Derivatives, many derivatives now go through a clearinghouse where it's not just in the shadows, one bank to another bank, but they're centrally located. There's a lot of transparency. Securitization is way down. Money markets are much safer than they were 15 years ago. So you're right, there are still risks out there, but if you look at the whole financial system outside of the banking sector, on most dimensions, it is substantially safer than it was 10 or 15 years ago. Now, we're not arguing that nothing can go wrong on almost every dimension it is safer. Bob Rosencrantz to respond.
6: I think what our opponents are addressing is the last war. Well, if the same crisis unfolded again today, we'd be better equipped to deal with it. Generals are great at fighting the last war. Nobody predicted the financial crisis last time. And I don't think anybody's predicting or can predict what might trigger it next time. It could be a political event. It could be something in Iran. It could be something in China. I don't find very satisfying the argument that we're better at fighting the last war. Still, the failure of one big bank can bring the system down. We haven't really addressed the interdependence of financial institutions.
1: Okay, let me let Jason Furman jump in on that. So what Bob Rosenkreis, I'm hearing him saying, is no matter where the next crisis comes from, the tools that were developed for the last time may not be relevant.
3: Yeah, I mean, we've fought hundreds of wars. This isn't some random little footnote. That's been the source of a lot of the financial crises throughout history. And whatever goes wrong anywhere in the system, if our banking system has a lot more resources than it had, I feel better about it, no matter what the problem.
1: Your your response to their point that the banking system is
3: now a small part of the overall sector is, actually, no, it's still pretty central it's central to the financial system. The banks borrow money very short term and they lend it long term and That mismatch can create a problem because you know you get the it's a wonderful life type bank run. We've reduced the risk of that in the banking system, but you had that throughout the financial system with lots of institutions borrowing in things like overnight repo, triparty repo. They were putting up these securities that were terrible and junk, and then all of that collapsed. All of those parts of the financial systems, the way we manufacture derivatives, all of that we've changed quite a lot. You know, we don't know where it's coming next. That's why we're looking in a lot more places now than we were a decade ago.
5: Ken Rogoff. Another example in addition to what Bob said of the next war. Cyber war, cybersecurity is just, we just don't know what happens. As you put constraints on the banking system, the stuff flows elsewhere. Interest rates are very low. People are looking for risks. Former Federal Reserve Chair Janet Yellen you know, has commented on this recently, covenant light leverage loans, but very risky stuff without a lot of contingencies or collateral. I I don't feel as an outsider that we know everything the banks are doing where they're lending to someone who seems safe, hedge fund or something, and then they make a really risky loan but implicit in some way it can come back on the financial system's books. Our banking system has always been at the center of crises, but our banking system's been shrinking. And that's one of the reasons the U.S. came out
3: faster. It's less important to our system. Ken, we weren't even looking before. No one was looking at Lehman. Fannie and Freddie could borrow as much as they want. Now we're looking at them. We may not see everything, and Fannie and Freddie can't borrow all that they want. See, one of the
4: challenges I have with your argument is that you're basically saying this is an unsolvable problem because the next crisis is gonna come from somewhere different, so there's nothing you can do about it. We've taken the smart, rational actions, looking at the history of the world economy, where crises have come from in the past, made prudent measures, but to just say, well, we don't know, an asteroid might hit us. Well, what are we supposed to do with that as policymakers, right? We have to make decisions based on data and analysis and history, and we've made smart decisions based on that, and the system is clearly safer. Just saying we haven't defended against an asteroid isn't very helpful. Bob I, Rosen- I, I,
6: I don't think that's a fair characterization. To make the system safer, you need to have banks that stand on their own two feet with a failure of one big institution. But you, but you to, already conceded the, that capital finish, helps.
4: Please. Capital helps, right? Cap-
6: Capital helps, but once an institution fails, it is absolutely as likely that it's going to drag the system down with it as it was 10 years ago. I think the main thing that could make the system safer is if you eliminated derivatives, over-the-counter derivatives, simply banned them. Uh,
3: but let, let, okay. let me let Jason respond to okay. some what you said there. If you're worried that a bank will take the whole system down... They have twice as much capital as they used to have. We had no bankruptcy regime for Lehman also. There's rules if just your sort of plain vanilla industrial company goes bankrupt. There's rules if a small bank goes bankrupt. We had no way at all of handling Lehman. We have one on paper now. It goes by the name Resolution Authority. They've written out a living will, all of them, what they do. Again, do I think it's going to be perfect? Am I sure it's going to work exactly in a crisis? No. But boy, do I feel better knowing that we have those rules now to handle the bankruptcy of a large, complex financial institution.
5: Do we think they're going to allow a large bank to go bankrupt? Because they've also made it hard for the Fed to do the more creative things that it did in order to avoid that. I think the market doesn't believe that they'd be allowed to go under.
3: I, I think the Fed just needs to be a little bit more creative than it did last time. And if it does that, it can do everything. And I think the market's more realistic about the banks now. So
1: Ken Rollagoff made an argument that he doesn't think that we're in safe hands these days. He didn't mention anybody by name. Um, <laughs> Our alliances are frayed. Brexit, also a mess, which is a serious partner last time. If a crisis were to come today, they're arguing that we don't have the cool heads that would be able to handle it. Neil Kashkari, take that argument on.
4: People may forget, in the middle of the financial crisis, we had a presidential election in 2008. Senator McCain and then Senator Obama That was hardly political harmonious time. I mean, I was sitting in the gallery above the House of Representatives when the House voted down TARP the first time. Members of Congress were telling us their phones were ringing off the hook 99 to 1, saying, don't you dare vote for this. Then the Dow Jones Industrial Average dropped 777 points that afternoon, and two days later they voted for it. Our democracy is deeply flawed, imperfect. But in moments of crisis, we tend to come together. we came together in 2008, I believe in the moment of future crisis, American history has shown that we will come together and do what's necessary on behalf of the American people. That was what I lived, that was my experience in 2008. I think that's true today.
1: Jason, I know you're dying to talk on this, but hold on, I wanna let the other side respond. Ken Rogoff, and then I'll come to you. Well, I mean, you have to have guidance on what it is you
5: want to do, and that comes from the top. Yes, our democracy may be strong, but that doesn't mean that we'll handle it well. We're looking not just at the United States, we have to think about the whole world. Do I feel safer about European banks? The market sure doesn't feel safe about Deutsche Bank, who sells at a fraction of its book value. If something were to happen with the euro, their banks are very vulnerable. You can have a flood and you build your seawall a little higher, but if you have global warming, it doesn't necessarily mean you, you became safer. Our financial system's gotten much bigger by measures
3: of total debt, total financial assets.
1: Jason, you wanted to respond to the personality issue.
3: Yeah. I mean, certainly I don't turn this into a debate for and against the people President Trump has chosen to appoint. But the fact that we had such good people last time and had such a terrible crisis, if I had to choose between the best people in the world, financial system, where you weren't watching most of it, where banks were undercapitalized, where there was a huge bubble, where you were making terrible loans, where households were going deeper and deeper into debt, Or a system where the rules were a lot better, you know, a lot of those indicators were better and the people weren't quite as good, I think I'd choose the system, especially since those people aren't necessarily there forever um, and the system has a greater durability to it. So I would rather have the hand we have now. Plus, the UK government has excellent regulators who are completely focused. China. It did a huge fiscal stimulus. It suffered from the crisis much less because they have $3 trillion in reserves, huge amount of control um, over their economy. I I,
1: I want to ask Bob Rosenkrantz if what you just heard calmed your concerns?
6: No. (laughs) Um, Because I think they're focused very, very narrowly on banks. Yes, they've created a regulatory environment where banks are doing less of what banks typically do. We want them to make loans to consumers so that the consumer can continue to support the economy. We want them to make loans to businesses so that the businesses can grow. We want them to make markets in securities so that we can have orderly markets in times of both boom and bust. Well, they've said the banks can't do that or they can do much less of it. Does that mean that the system is safer? No, those risks and those activities are simply migrating elsewhere. We have as big a portfolio in the system of loans than we ever had. It's just that the banks don't hold them. But those loans are at record high relationships to corporate earnings. They are covenant light now so that the lenders don't even have the same degree of protection they had a decade ago. All of these risks that, yes, they may have pushed out of the banking system are still very much a part of the financial system and could fill against us in ways that we're less equipped to deal with now than we were a decade ago.
1: I'm John Donvan. This is Intelligence Squared U.S. The debate continues with questions from the audience in just a moment. I'm John Donvan. This is Intelligence Squared U.S. Ten years after the global financial crisis, is the system safer? Now it's time for questions from the audience.
3: Hi, Van Greenfield. My question is for Professor Rogoff. I remember when interest rates ran short-term 17 or 18 percent. What would be the impact of interest rates quadrupling from where
4: they are now?
5: I I mean, I think if global inflation-adjusted interest rates quadrupled, everything would blow up. Even the United States would have a very hard time handling that. That is extraordinarily unlikely. If they went up one and a half percent, Italy could blow up. That's the mother of all risks out in the system. We've had them trending down. That's as likely they'll go down as up, frankly. Giant financial crises do not happen every three years, although we're doing some things to engineer that uh, with deregulation that's happened. By the way, deregulation isn't just about the rules. It's about who's enforcing the rules. And when you appoint regulators outside the Federal Reserve who are sort of not enforcing the rules, not very different than the Environmental Protection Agency, you can get problems.
1: I do want to go to a question, but I'd like you to respond by, you know, the chickens are guarding the hen house, more or less they're saying in some situations. Neil?
4: I mean, I haven't seen any evidence that that's true. I travel around my region all the time. I meet with banks who are always saying that the regulations are too tough. Again, I want to be tougher on them yet, but so far we're not hearing banks. They're breathing a sigh of relief, you can make that assertion. I just don't see any can, evidence that Were you true. referring
1: to banks
5: or were you referring to non-bank? No, the, the whole financial system. With banks, the question is what are they doing that you don't know where they're implicitly guaranteeing things outside their system that could come back on their books?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think we now have these rules that if an institution is systemically important, if it could bring the whole system down, we're allowed to regulate it. That's not something we had before. The Obama administration used that tool quite actively. This administration, I think, has used it less actively. That makes me nervous, but that, again, sort of makes our point that we had zero before the crisis. Now we have this new tool, and we're using it half as well as I'd like us to use it. Um, The next administration could use it even more, and even the half we're doing now and the fact that it's on the books is better than Um, if we didn't have that tool at all. Okay,
1: go to another question. I want to get in the back there.
3: Jolene Creighton,
6: it sounds like you're saying it's less likely that we'll have a financial crisis given new systems and forms of oversight that have been put into place. What if there is a crisis? Do you feel that the system can
0: effectively deal with this given the current administration and Congress and so on?
1: Thank you for that question.
3: So that does go to the question of can we put out the fire if the fire starts? I think we have better tools than we had before. I'm worried about our political system, too, but somehow we managed to do a massive fiscal stimulus last year when we didn't need one. If we really do need one again, I'll bet we can get around to it. You have central banks that communicate with each other across countries and share resources. The IMF has twice the resources it had to fight a fire. Europe has a brand new, you know, 700 billion euro to fight it. So I think we have more tools to fight a fire now. It'll still burn down some houses, but fewer than it did last time. Right down here.
5: My name is Bob Young. And my question is with regard to OTC derivatives moving on to clearing houses, concentrating the risk within those clearing houses, particularly when you think about Ken's point around cyber risk.
4: There's a lot of scrutiny in these new clearing houses from regulators to look at making sure that they have the resources that they need, netting these positions against one another so that they're reducing the exposure that they themselves take. Do I think it's perfect? No. But are we better off having these clearing houses with this transparency than we were 10 or 15 years ago when it was the wild, wild west? I think unquestionably we're better off. I'm not satisfied that we're done, but I feel very confident that we've made progress. In terms of cyber, when I look at cyber, it's an arms race. The bad guys are investing in new technology every day, so are the good guys. My best assessment is we're still roughly neutral. The bad guys have made progress, the good guys have made progress, the arms race is about where it was 10 years ago, though the tools are probably different.
1: For the team arguing against, assess where the cyber threat figures into your argument
5: the risks of cyber war with the financial system being at the center of it, Russia, North Korea, Iran, China being players that the US intelligence worries about a lot. This is this is actually going on all the time behind the scenes. Suppose it paralyzed some bank and everybody became panicked that deposits are going to get erased or pension funds get worried about it. I mean, it could set off just a massive panic and not that easy to fix because the Fed can say, well, we'll guarantee your deposit. But wait a second, we don't see it deposit for you anymore. I'd N- like
6: to add to that. So much money now is in ETFs that operate on an autopilot way. And it, it's true in spades in equity where so much money now is simply indexed and expressed in ETFs that are completely on autopilot. And the world has this illusion that that everybody owns a liquid instrument, but when these intermediaries try to find liquidity to meet redemptions, that's when the system gets in trouble. Yeah, they've made the banks safer by not allowing the banks
4: to participate in getting us out of trouble. Neil Kashgar, respond? The point about cyber and these different actors, there are these risks that are unknown, and we haven't protected against the unknown. I agree. We have not protected against the unknown. That's why I make the joke that it's like an asteroid hitting us. We haven't protected against the asteroid. We have to take action on things that we can see, that we can measure, and that we can analyze. That's all we can do as policymakers. And given the risks that have hit the global financial system in recorded history, we've taken prudent steps to make the system safer. But can we dream up risks ...that we haven't thought of? Sure, but I don't know what you do about that. So
5: let's pick one you've missed. The ratings agencies just haven't been fixed. They were big players in what happened in the last financial crisis. If you were a consumer, it would be like
1: getting your credit score. They said
5: some of these things were really safe that weren't, these complex uh, Rube Goldberg-type things that the financial sector created... They still really have not addressed the problem who pays for these ratings. It's the borrowers pay for the ratings. And so that's okay, so, terrible So that's not problem. an asteroid yeah.
3: case that, that Ken yeah. is presenting to you. Uh, I agree. A lot of financial reform advocates had a list about 10 things they wanted fixed. We had that derivatives question before about the clearinghouses. A lot of people were advocating for derivatives moving to clearinghouses for a long time from the public policy community. The financial institutions didn't like it, lobbied against it, and after the crisis, we stopped listening to the financial institutions, and we started listening to the experts, and we made the system a little bit safer. Um, Ratings agencies, that's something we commissioned a study in Dodd-Frank, and the study was done, and not much was done. Um, The other is the regulation of insurance is still done at the state level, not the national level, but those are sort of... Two out of the 10 things that experts wanted to see fixed that weren't addressed. in right? But it's the
4: same as it was 10 years ago. Right. So that's an example where it's neutral. It was a problem 10 or 15 years ago. It's still a problem today. But we've made progress in other areas. So on the whole, the system is safer.
5: But continued booming growth in the financial sector. So the system's bigger.
1: Okay, you know,
4: I, I, I want to move on because we are
1: thing. getting a little repetitive on some of that. We have time for maybe one or two more questions. Okay, let's go back right down front, sir.
4: Uh, Brian Olisub, you were talking before about the political will. If we were to confront any similar size magnitude financial crisis in the future, I think we've already heard Hank Paulson and Ben Bernanke fretting openly that it's unlikely as successful retrospectively as TARP was, it would be politically infeasible given the fact that it gave rise to the Tea Party and probably President Trump, what's your level of confidence that we would be able to marshal necessary resources? Obviously, it's it's hard to know for sure. I read a lot of American history, and the more American history that I read, the more I realize that political dysfunction is actually the norm. We've had a lot of political dysfunction in our nation's history, and I'm not just talking about the Civil War, other times. And our country has a remarkable capacity when the country's on the line for people coming together and putting their country before their own immediate political interests. You know, a lot of members of Congress who voted for the TAR paid for it with their seats. They didn't get reelected as a result of it. And so I do have a lot of confidence that people do come together and put their country first when the stakes are this high.
1: I'd like to let the other side respond to that question of political will.
6: Well, I, I think you, you've, comments. in a way you've made our point. Bailing out banks or bailing out financial institutions is never politically popular. It may be the smart policy thing to do, but it's never politically popular. And the fact that people who did vote for it last time, a lot of them lost their seats. You talk about what lessons have learned. Well, people in Congress have learned we don't want to bail out financial institutions. And the Fed's powers to do that have actually been truncated by uh, Dodd-Frank. I think we have less political will to deal with these kind of crises can, today than dis- we would very quickly have yes.
3: two days before tarp passed tarp couldn't pass the market crashed and that forced a set of action i think it's really hard to predict congress i've been watching it for a while and it constantly surprises me
1: uh, on the aisle Hi, Milo Fallon.
2: With more and more countries, such as Brazil or Italy, major economies falling into populism, how will that affect the global economy and the system?
5: I think it makes it harder to respond, certainly in the case of the democracies. I admire Neil's contributions and his deep belief in how powerful our country is. But as Winston Churchill said, Americans always do the right thing after they try everything else first. And I I think it might be many years of trying everything else first in this case.
4: Neil, the cyber example that Ken talked about, something we never thought of, it just hits us. North Korea hacks all our banks. If North Korea hacks all of our banks, You think Republicans and Democrats aren't going to come together to save our system? Of course they are. And so the more it's one of these asteroid events, the more likely our political system is going to come together and people are going to rally because it's something none of us had thought of.
1: And that concludes round two of this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, where our resolution is 10 years after the global financial crisis, the system is safer. Now we move on to round three. Round three are closing statements by each debater in turn. Speaking first in the closing round for the resolution, Jason Furman, former
3: chairman of the Council of Economic Advisors under President Obama. Neil and I talked about five different areas, three of them indisputably safer. Two of them you could argue either side, I think largely neutral. Our opponents have tried to say we're just talking about the banking system. First of all, just talking about the banking system is just talking about the main source of crises for hundreds of years. But we're also talking about derivatives, money market mutual funds, Fannie and Freddie, throughout the financial system. But I want to step back and talk about one thing that goes beyond those five arguments, the Great Depression. Unemployment rate went to 25%, output fell 30%. The global financial crisis was bad. It wasn't nearly as bad as that. The unemployment rate went to 10, output fell by 5%. In part, it's because we made the system safer. We put in place things like deposit insurance. But we also learned a lot. We learned a lot from the Great Recession. Again, we didn't learn enough. And the next time we get into this, we're going to act more vigorously on fiscal policy. And if the system isn't safe enough, it's because we need more Of what we've done, not less. If you have a problem with where we are today, you need to identify how to fix it. Every single one of the fixes is let's finish the list that we didn't get to, learn the lessons, and with all of that, we are definitely safer today.
1: Thank you, Jason Furman. And that's the resolution. Ten years after the global financial crisis, the system is safer. Here to make his closing statement against the resolution, Robert Rosencrantz, chairman of Delphi Capital Management, chairman, Intelligence Squared, U.S. Foundation.
6: I I don't ask for your vote because I'm the chairman of Intelligence Squared. (laughs) I, I don't ask for your vote because I'm an amateur who got into the ring with professionals on no notice. I think we made a better case that the world has evolved in ways that is more dangerous. There is more money on autopilot, in ETFs, in index funds. China is a much bigger player in the global system than it was a decade ago. Algorithmic trading and algorithmic portfolio strategies is a much bigger force than it was 10 years ago the migration of risky assets away from banks to other places in the system doesn't make the system safer. It makes the system harder to manage. What about the political will or the political ability to respond? Will that require a high degree of technical expertise, political coordination, and international coordination that just seems to be far less likely today than it was 10 years ago.
1: Thank you, Robert Rosencrantz. The resolution, again, 10 years after the global financial crisis, the system is safer. Here making his closing statement in support of the motion, Neil Kashkari, president of the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis.
4: People often ask me what was the financial crisis like for those of us who were there in the middle of it. And the only way I can describe it is it felt like we were in economic war. Every second of every day, what motivated us was trying to avert the Great Depression scenario that Jason talked about. 25% unemployment. Imagine your ATM not working. How do we keep the system together one more day? I was working seven days a week, sleeping in my office. It went on month after month after month. And I never, ever, ever want to face something like that again. For my own sake, for the country's sake, having been through that personally, we are better off today than we were 10 years ago for all the reasons that we talked about, the banks, the non-banks, the system is just stronger and safer than it was. I wish going into that crisis that we had the tools and the capital and the systems and the structure that we had today. We didn't have it. So we had to use belt, suspenders, duct tape, everything we could think of to try to get through that crisis. And we got through it, but we're better off today. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you, Neil Kashkari. And our final speaker, making his closing statement against the resolution, here is Kenneth Rogoff, economist and professor at Harvard.
5: There is a wonderful book by Anat Admati at Stanford and Martin Helwig called The Banker's New Clothes. And they basically make the argument that you should have banks have much more of their own skin in the game. And in response to, well, there's twice as much equity as there used to be, Anat's response is, twice nothing is still nothing. There's very little. And another analogy she uses is, okay, we used to have trucks loaded with stuff driving at 100 miles per hour. Now there's trucks loaded with more stuff and they're only driving at 95 miles an hour, but it's not a very safe system. I wish I could tell you that you should sleep better at night. I'm afraid we live in this very uncertain world And I have to come back to the Trump argument. Simply, we don't have a safe pair of hands. I wouldn't feel good in any kind of crisis.
1: Thank you, Ken Rogoff. And that concludes closing statements for this Intelligence Squared U.S. debate. I now have... The results of your vote. Our resolution is this. Ten years after the global financial crisis, the system is safer. Remember, it's the difference between the first and the second vote that determines who is our winner. On the first vote, 29% of you agreed with this resolution, 49% disagreed, and 22% were undecided. On the second vote, the team arguing for the resolution, their first vote was 29%, their second vote was 35%, they picked up six percentage points, that's the number to beat. The team arguing against the resolution, their first vote was 49%, the second vote was 57%, they pulled up eight percentage points, they just nicked out a victory on that, the team arguing against the resolution. Our congratulations to them. Thank you for me, John Donvan, and Intelligence Squared US. We'll see you next time. As the results were being counted, we kept chatting on stage. And I asked Neil Kashkari, president of the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis, why last year he voted four times against raising interest rates.
4: Well, the big surprise we've had is we kept thinking that we're at maximum employment. Everybody who wants to work is able to find a job. But then month after month, all these Americans are coming off the sidelines. I want to see evidence that we're actually there. Wage growth picks up. We really know that, okay, we're finally at maximum employment, and then that leads to inflation. So I'm not opposed to rate hikes ever, but I want to see evidence that the U.S. economy is finally hitting on all cylinders, everybody's able to find a job who wants to find a job. When that happens, it'll be time for me to then go ahead and raise rates.
1: This Intelligence Squared U.S. debate was recorded live at the Kay Playhouse Theater in New York City. Robert Rosencrantz is our chairman. Leah Mathau is chief content officer. Amy Kraft is director of operations and production. Shay O'Mara is manager of editorial operations. Aaron Dalton and Rob Christensen are the radio producers. Damon Whittemore is the audio engineer. And I'm your host, John Donvan. These debates are made possible by generous contributions from listeners like you and with support from the Rosencrantz Foundation, David A. Coulter, Robert Epstein, the Christopher W. Johnson Charitable Trust, Ilona Namath and Alan Quasha, the George L. Orstrom Jr. Foundation, Jerry Orstrom, Kelly Posner Gerstenhaber, the Mortimer D. Sackler Foundation, and Jennifer and Philippe Selendi. From Intelligence Squared U.S. and me, thanks to all of you. Next week on January 31st, we're going to be live at the Cape Playhouse Theater in New York City, taking on the resolution, don't bring extinct creatures back to life. This debate will include Stuart Brand, environmentalist and founder of the Whole Earth Catalog, who joins with leading geneticist and founder of the Personal Genome Project, Dr. George Church. George is currently working to revive the woolly mammoth, his opponents think that's not such a great idea. They are Dr. Ross McPhee, who is curator of the American Museum of Natural History, and evolutionary biologist Dr. Lynn Rothschild. Tickets are still available for this one, so visit iq2us.org to buy yours, or text the letters IQ and the number 2 to and you'll get a link to buy tickets. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile